Now, over the last few weeks, I've spared you reading through this, but we're going to read through this because we're coming down to what this has all been about, what this has all been about. I was thinking as I came, I had to come up with a, they want me to give you a, a title to, to the messages, and sometimes I get the title before the message, and sometimes I get the message before the title. And as I was, I had a, this message for a while. I've known this is where we were heading. This is what everything we've been talking about over the last six or so months has been leading up to. This is, all of that has been to prepare us for this. And they asked me for a title, and this, this phrase, this question came to my mind, or phrase came to my mind, and then I was remembering where I'd heard it from before. And uh, back when Anita and I were dating in the 60s, in the mid-60s or so, there was a song that was popular uh, called, What's It All About, Alfie? And then I realized it was the theme song from a movie about, entitled Alfie, which is, if you've ever seen it, you don't need to go rent it. You don't want to necessarily see this movie. But it's about this single guy in, 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 in London, I think it was London, Engl- in England, who is, basically lives his life for himself. He has a whole series of girlfriends and relationships with them and basically uses them for his own pleasure. And whatever happens to them, he doesn't care about that. And you can see that he's, in the, the song, of course, the theme is, he's struggling with what's life all about. Why are we here? His life is aimless, purposeless, but he's doing all the things the world offers you to bring satisfaction, and he realizes it doesn't bring satisfaction. But we're the church. We're not the world. And we have a purpose. We have a focus. There is a purpose and a focus for our life and for the church. And, 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 uh, and what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is the summation of all of this. So we're going to read down through these verses and then you'll see what this is. I don't think it'll be a great shock to you, but we're going to spend a little time looking at it. Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and of the bond of peace. Now, we've talked about all this in various ways. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean? But also that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who first ascended far above all the heavens, that he made full all things. And he himself came, gave some, some of these gifts, to be apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children." tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, and this is the part we've been talking about over the last few weeks, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes the growth of the body, and that's the place where we've ended. But there are a few more words. For the edifying of itself 
in love. This 16 verses starts with going back and looking at who we are. We are the body of Christ. John Zabrowski handed me a little, uh, a, as he often hands me things, but this is a copy of a, of a, a comment by, uh, by Schofield in the original Schofield Bible. There's a new, newer version out, but they've watered down some of his comments. And his comment in there, talking about the body of Christ, is it is, it is, it is not an organization, it is an organism. It is a living body. And that's really what we've been talking about over these weeks. And Paul starts in these first few verses, the first six verses or so, and talks about it's what we're part of. We're one part of one body. Just as there's one Lord, one God, one, G, one Savior, one Spirit, and there's one body of Christ. And then he goes to talk about us individually. He says we've been given, uh, by the grace that's been given to him, he's revealing to us that gifts have been given to us why? Because each of us is a different part of that one body. So when we've talked about this over and over again, that when you came to Christ, you were grafted into His body, His spiritual body. But He literally takes, he takes this literally. So we are His hands, His feet, His eyes, His ears. We are, we are, we are, the, we are the hug that, somebody, that He wants to hug somebody. We are, the, we are, we are the, the kind words that God wants to speak to a woman off the streets in Providence. We are those words. We are, we are that bed that she's going to... We provide that bed she's going to sleep in with her children. See, see, serving God is not some spiritual, theological thing way up here. It's real practical things. And to do that, you need a real practical body. And we are His real practical body on the earth. And if you really study, you discover... Part of his body isn't here anymore. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, you'll see part of his body's already gone on. See, we're just as much... Paul and you and Paul are united together. The Apostle Paul, I love him. He's my favorite author in the Bible other than Jesus. He, the Apostle Paul, I just can identify with him. I'm going to get to see him someday. But he and I are part of the same body. He's just a different part of that body. And you're just a different part of that body because we're all joined together to one body. And then we've talked about the, the, the process of growing and maturing so that we, we, whatever part we are, we mature and take our place in that body. And over these last few weeks, we've been talking about now that we see that as the focus. We realize we have to be connected to one another because if we're not connected to another, one another, the parts of the body are disjointed and they can't function properly. But now we're coming down to see what the focus of that whole body is, the purpose of the body, why it's still here for the edifying of itself. That means building up of itself in love. Notice what it doesn't say. Other subjects that we've studied that are good, we will subject more. Notice it doesn't say the building of itself in faith. Now faith is important because Hebrews 11.6 tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. Not hard. It's impossible to please God without faith. So faith is very important. So is righteousness and holiness. The Bible says a lot about righteousness and holiness. And they're critical and they're very important. But notice, the one thing that Paul includes here is that the focus, the purpose of the body, 
of you functioning together and me taking my part and you taking your part and of us functioning together and maturing in our functioning together. The purpose of it is that we build the body up in love. Why love above everything else? Love is the most powerful force in the world. Let me just give you a couple of quick scriptures. You don't need to turn there. I just want to highlight some of the things the Bible says about love. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, talking about Israel, it says, knowledge, when we all need to gain knowledge, knowledge is important. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies or builds up. I'm sure you've all run into people who know a lot, and you get around, but you don't want to be around them even though they know a lot because they know that they know a lot. And the Bible says knowledge puffs up. You know what to puff something up is? Is to make it look bigger but not add any substance. When you puff something up, you fluff it up. You make it look bigger but you've not added any substance to it. So that's what knowledge does to it. It can puff us up. But love builds us up. 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs us up, but love builds us up. Colossians 3.14, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I wasn't and thought about that when I pulled this scripture out. That's Colossians 3.14. If you think about it, what we've been talking about is the different parts of his body being working together in perfect harmony. And what does that? Love. What makes a household function well? Love. What makes a church function well? Love. Because when there is not love, there's disunity. And where there's disunity, there's dysfunction. Some of you struggle with that in your own physical body where parts aren't working right. It's like they're not cooperating with each other. It may be that your heart's not cooperating right now. It's not beating the way it's supposed to beat. That affects the rest of you. You don't feel as well. Some of you may have be struggling with diabetes. Your pancreas is not functioning properly. It's not functioning in harmony with the rest of it. It's not performing its function. That affects all of you. And what this verse tells us is when we're not functioning in love, whatever context it's in, it, it pulls the harmony apart. You can only have harmony in a marriage. You can only have harmony in a family. You can only have harmony in a church when we walk in love. So love is the most essential characteristic. Love is the most powerful force. Galatians 5, 6 says, Faith only works through love. Faith works through love. So you can have the greatest faith in the world, but it's only going to function as you exercise it in love. Faith works through love. That's Galatians 5, 6. Oh, this is one of my favorite ones. 1 Peter 4, 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. Ha, <laughs> ha. Anybody need some sins covered? God's love for you 
covered them with the blood of Jesus. So this verse works two ways. It works because of the love that God has for me. He's covered my sins with the blood of Jesus. But it also means I am responsible if I'm walking in love, I will cover other people's sins. That doesn't mean avoid them. It doesn't mean... It goes back to the story of Noah. When Noah came through this great, tremendous victory of trusting God, built the ark. And we don't have time to go through the whole story today, but it's an incredible story. Over 100 years of trusting God, listening to the insults of people and the unbelief of people around him. But he obeyed God, builds this ark, and then he, by, by his obedience, his entire family is saved from the flood that comes and ravishes the world. Everybody else is destroyed. When this is over, his ark, the ark is left on dry ground. He comes out, is, is given a new covenant with God to start civilization all over again. Tremendous victory, man of faith. I, I heard this principle once, and you need to remember this. The most vulnerable time in your life is right after your greatest victory. Because what does he do that night? He gets stinking drunk and uncovers himself. And his kids find him. And one of them goes around talking about his dad. He's in there drunk and he's uncovered. Look what our dad's done. His other two pick up a blanket and they go to cover their father. But instead of walking towards him, they back up so that they don't gaze on his weakness. They don't gaze at his sin, and they cover him. His, they cover his shame and his weakness. Did he sin? Yes. Was he lying there uncovered? Yes. But their love and honor for their father, instead of exposing it, covered his weakness. Love. Love doesn't go around trying to point out our sins. Love's aim is to cover them. Is to cover them. Okay. So we've seen that, that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. We've seen that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. We've seen faith works through love. Now we've seen in 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. This is another one of my favorites. 1 John 4.18, perfect or matured love casts out fear. We're talking about the power of, God, of love. Love can cover sins. Love strengthens. Love builds. And love gets rid of fear. If you're struggling with fear in your life, the answer isn't to address the fear. That just makes you more afraid. The antidote for fear is love. So love is powerful enough to overcome fear. Love is powerful enough to overcome fear. And there are many other we could look at, but the last one, and we'll cover this in more detail later on, is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. It says, love never, never fails or fades out, I think the Amplify goes on to say. Love never fails. So love builds up. Love brings harmony. Love makes faith work. Love covers sins, gets rid of them. Love gets rid of fear, and love 
never fails. Why? Why is love what it's all about? Of all the different things the Bible says are important, of all the different things like holiness and faith, righteousness and truth, that are all things, go through the gifts of the Spirit. There are nine of them listed there. Eight of them are not love. The first one that's listed is love. Why are they not it? Why isn't faith? I mean, we're, we're faith Christian center. My roots are in faith teaching. I've had to go back over, and I've been leading this church on Wednesday nights and even for a while on Sunday, back into faith because I had to believe the Spirit of God spoke to me and said people are weak in faith and therefore they're being easily moved by what's going on around them. Faith becomes your stability. It keeps you from being blown around. We spend time talking about it. But why isn't that it? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. So we know he's talking to the church because he's talking to those that are beloved. For love is of God. The word there for of is out of. Comes out of. In other words, we could say it this way, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, He who does not love does not know God. You can disagree with that all you want, but this is what the Bible says. For he who does not love does not know God, and here's what I wanted you to see. For God is love. Go down to verse 16. For we've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I want to show you what this does not say, because we read things oftentimes so quickly, we read them with our own understanding of something and miss what the Spirit of God is saying. He is not saying that God loves a lot, He does. He's not saying that God loves more than anybody ever has before, after, or ever will. He does. But that's not what this is saying. It doesn't say God loves a lot. It says God is love. The essence of His nature, if you could boil God down to one element that defines who He is, It is love. So when God loves you, He's not doing an act. He's expressing Himself. In fact, He he cannot not love because He is love. It is the essence of who He is. 
So everything he does, everything he says, every judgment he makes is a judgment act or, 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 or a, speak words of love. Now, you may look at some of them and say, I don't understand how that's love. That's because of a lack of your understanding. But it has to be love because he is love. So if he is love and we are his body on the earth, then it makes sense that the whole focus of this body is to be love because it's his body. When you get around certain people, you realize that there's a certain presence that they have. Sometimes it's not a good one. Sometimes it's a negative one. I've, I've worked for some people that like, you just, you know, you know you work for them, glad they signed your paycheck, but I don't want to be called into their office. I just don't want to particularly be around them. I've, I've worked with some people like that. And it's not just because they were lawyers. <laughs> I don't think I would have wanted to have been around them if they were something else. Just, and there's some people I've known that are just nasty people. Just, they're just... You do what you got to do with them and you get away from them. They're just, you don't, and you're not, you notice you're not drawn to those people. But then there are other people that just, there's something about them that you just want to be around. There's like almost like, and I don't want to mysticize this, but it's almost like a life force coming from them. Because the world's done that. They, they picked up on auras that people have and life forces. And, and all of that is to separate something that's of God from God. But there is a life force that people have. And you can feel it when you get around them. God's life force is love. You can see it when He took on flesh and walked among us in Jesus. You can see it in how people were drawn to Him. Children are the greatest measure of that because the children flocked to Him. His disciples were trying to shoo them away because they didn't understand how important they were to God. But He because of the love that was flowing from him and it was sincere. See, children can tell whether you're sincere or not. They know whether you're smiling at them and love them because it's the appropriate thing to do or because you really do love them. Because when you do, you become a magnet to them. We've been just down a, a month ago down in the mission field with a missionary that's, that's called to children. And we had one here a few months ago, Brother Mario. And you can just, the children, they don't have to be told to be around. They just go to them. They're like a magnet and we sat in the back of one of the teaching sessions when I did not teach. And sitting back there next to him, I showed some pictures a few weeks ago. And he got children. The children of these pastors are all sitting in his lap and hanging around him. Why? Because he loves children. And they know that. So there's something coming from him that attracts the children because they know they're loved when they're around him without him even saying anything. Now, here's the point. If we are the body of Christ... What is, what, what in his nature is love, then what is the paramount thing, the major thing, the ultimate thing that is to be coming from us since we're his body is an expression of his life force. We've just looked at a couple of scriptures, a few scriptures, there are more we could have looked at about the power of love. Well, it's real simple. Every one of you is here this morning because of that power of love. Someone loved you and expressed his love to you, whether they did it by saying God loves you, or they did it by getting on their knees and you don't even know who they were, and they prayed for you. But somewhere, somehow, 
God's love for you was expressed to you. Maybe not yet in the fullness that you need to know it, but to enough where you came to Christ and you were willing to trust Him enough to give your life to Him. Something about Him. That's why there's that old song, there's something about that name, I can tell you what it is. He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His Son was given to the world, more specifically given to you, because God loves you. That's the thing, the wor- this is also the, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing. That's it. I'm not going any further. <laughs> and that's true. But what the world needs is not the world's idea of love. Amen. We'll talk about that probably next week or the week after. But I want you to, this one point I want to get across to you, down deep inside of you. That the, that, that the reason, the, the, the purpose of the church, because understand this, God loves us. The only trouble we can get into is here. There's no trouble in heaven you can get into. You're not going to stumble into some bar and get drunk in heaven. All right? You're not, you won't get into trouble in heaven. The only trouble you can get to is here. So why, if He loves us, why would He leave us here in the only place where we can get into trouble. Because he loves people that already are in trouble and he needs his body to go get them. See, we come to church and our, our concept, our tiny little concept of God, what God's doing is what he's doing inside these four walls right now. So we had a wonderful worship service. It was a good time. We had some great sharing by Sean and get some vision stirred in us. Now we're getting inspired by the Word. And that's wonderful. But God's perspective this morning is He loves you and He loves me, but He can hear the heart cry of people in the street this morning. Somebody that was drunk last night because they're hurting and they don't know where they can get that ache in their soul met. And they're hurting. So the only thing they know is to shoot something or drink something or do something to ease the pain. And now they're waking up maybe about now or later this morning and they're dealing now with the effects of all that. And they're deeper in bondage to the devil this morning than they were yesterday and they don't know how to get out of that. And they may not be speaking words with their mouth, but in their heart they're somewhere crying out, is there a way out? Am I lost? And God our Father hears that this morning hears that this morning and he's waiting and preparing and molding and shaping and strengthening this part of his body like a hand that can reach out that back door down onto that street and put his arm around that person and begin to just touch with his love so that they know, not theologically, not intellectually, but they begin to know that there is a God that cares about them. That's you and me. That's why the focus of all of this for his body is the building up of itself in love. Not only that, even in this room right now, 
even at Faith Christian Center on Sunday morning, on this November Sunday in 2010, even here, the people hurting. You may be one of them. You may have come in here with situations in your life that are absolutely overwhelming you and you don't know what the answer is. And it can be even more frustrating when you're a Christian because you've been told you found the answer and yet you're not experiencing it. And you come in here and you you know God loves you because you know that concept. And people hug you when you come in and they say good morning to you and you can feel their love to a degree, but you leave the same way you came in. God hears your cry this morning too. It's the building up of the body. It starts with building ourselves up together with one another. See, your gifts are needed to meet someone else's need just within the body, let alone out there. God is love. And that means his body is love. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Yeah, I know that. That's the love chapter. That's why the pastors go in there. Well, it isn't the love chapter. Don't throw anything at me yet. It's about love, but that's not its purpose. 1 Corinthians 13 is stuck in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Deep revelation. Make sure you write that down. Because this discussion that's going on here are the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Paul's already been correcting them before this. In chapter 11, he corrects some attitudes about, about, how, their, about how their services go on and their, their fellowship after service and their, their communion services were, were a free-for-all. It was like a potluck dinner. And you had people sitting in corners in their own... What was happening is you had people coming together in church in cliques. You know what cliques are? They're where we associate with people we like better than other people because we may have things in common. You know, we may look the same, talk the same, you know, we just, we like this person. So we congregate, that's an interesting word, isn't it? We congregate towards people that are like us and have our same, inf- same life. And we, we, that forms a click, which is like taking part of his body and isolating it from another part. And yet we're in the same building together. That's what was going on. So what was happening is they were coming, and this is in 1 Corinthians 11, they were coming in and they were to celebrate the Lord's table together, communion together, and what was happening is they were bringing their own food. See, they didn't do it the way we did it. They brought the, 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 the food, they brought the bread and, and the, what they did back then was wine to share with, with the body, but they weren't sharing with each other. They were drinking it and eating it together in their little cliques. And Paul says to them, listen carefully, because you hear this read every month when we do communion. Paul says to them, you are not rightly dividing, the, the understanding, divide means to, to understand, the body of Christ. You're not recognizing the body of Christ that you are here when you celebrate and you have disunion among you. When you sit in one group and you ignore another group and that group over here is getting drunk 
and eating, and this group over here doesn't have anything to eat. Not that we should get drunk together, but I mean, this group's over here, as they're just having a... In other words, the whole attitude you have about this is we're having fun together. You're not rightly dividing. You're not rightly discerning the body of Christ. There's a verse we go on to read every month, and I wonder how many of you really hear it. He says, as a result of that, many of you, not a few, many of you are sick and weakly, and a number of you have slept. That means died. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? How many of you have that on your refrigerator? All because we don't value his body here together. And then he goes on to address, in chapter 12, he goes on to address how they're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And basically it's the same problem. They're in pride. You've got some groups that says, you know, I flow in tongues, and you don't. And others were saying, but I prophesy. I prophesied on Sunday. That makes me better than you, more spiritual. And Paul is going through, if you read the 1 Corinthians 12 in the beginning, he goes through that same thing he does in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body, but there's one Lord. He goes on to say, this is all, it's not about you. There's one, one body attending here. And the spirit of that one, because there's only one spirit, and he's expressing the heart and nature of God when these gifts operate. That's what they are. The gifts of the Spirit are simply a manifestation. Manifestation just means a revealing or making obvious that something's present that's already there. And what they make clear or present is that God's here because they're supernatural revelations or, 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 or manifestations of something that's spiritual that you can't see. But Paul's addressing the way they're operating them in disunity. And then chapter 14 goes to some specific instructions about one of those particular gifts, which is the gift of tongues. And the basic message in 1 Corinthians 14 is this. When you operate in that gift in the church, which tells us that there's a time to operate in it, not in the church, but that's not the message today. When you operate in this in the church, don't do it for selfish motives, but do it with an awareness of the people that are hearing it, whether it's going to cause this body to be edified. That's the message of 1 Corinthians 14. But sandwiched in there is what we call the love chapter. And it is about love, but he's teaching them that the problem is you've been sharing the Lord's table together. You've been operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but you've been misusing them, and here's how and why you've been misusing them. And now we'll start to read it. And I think you'll begin to understand why some of the, Paul says some of these things. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, each one of the things he's going to talk about here is referring back to one of the spiritual gifts. So if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, referring back to the spiritual gift of tongues, the gift of the spirit of tongues. But I do not have love... I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Some translations saying noisy brass and, clang, and, and noisy cymbal. Clanging brass and noisy cymbal. In other words, I'm a discordant sound. 
let me put it in a, in a, in a way that might just touch you a little more emotionally. It's like running somebody's fingers down a blackboard. That's how it sounds to God. So we can be operating in the gifts of the Spirit and just singing in the Spirit, praying beautiful things in the heavenly language. But he said, if it's not out of love to God's ears, it's a noisy breast and it's tang- tang- tangling symbol, tang- clanging cymbal. It's fingernails going down a blackboard. See, God doesn't hear what we're hearing here. He hears what is coming out of here. Well, let's move on. That was exciting. (laughs) Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, that's the spiritual gift of of, of, of knowledge, of, of, of wisdom. And all knowledge, that's a spiritual gift of wisdom. Though I have these gifts, these revelation gifts, that gets pretty heady stuff, you know, when you're getting revelation. The most common problems in churches come through people that get revelation. It's either your intercessors or your worship team. I'm not saying about here. But the most common is because they're in communication spirit to spirit. And in the process, they start seeing things. And when they start seeing things, it's tempting, because we're all vulnerable to this, to begin to think there's something special about me because of what I'm seeing. So we say, but I, I, I know God showed me this. Well, that's good. I have people tell me that regularly or often. Not regularly, but often. God showed me this. God showed me this is going to happen. That God showed me, and that's wonderful. And it may, God may have. But the next question is, what did God tell you to do with what He showed you? Maybe He showed it to you to pray. I listen to what people say, but I will only do what He tells me. Because you see, I'm responsible to Him. I'm going to have to give an account for you to him. And what Paul's saying here is he's correcting them because they were flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. They were flowing in revelation gifts. Ooh. I want to show you how, how, how heady this could, some of this can be. Because one of those gifts is the gift of wisdom. That doesn't mean you get smart all of a sudden. Wouldn't that be nice? You're going to school. God, give me the gift of wisdom. I don't want to study. Just give me the gift of wisdom. Here's, here is a word of wisdom. If you're in that case, study. <laughs> That's the wisdom. And we can ask him for a wisdom, but this wisdom is a supernatural gift. It's where you know ahead of time something that's going to happen. And then you see it happens. The purpose of that gift is to demonstrate to the body there that God is present and, and, and by sharing something that only you know or may, you may not even know is going to happen yet that then happens, then God, it's clear that that was supernatural. That had to be God expressing himself. But that can get kind of heady. Oh, God, use me. I've had God do that with me. I don't have time this morning to go into some of the amazing things I've had God show me. I've had him do it in a courtroom. 
in a trial. I've had him do it in services as a pastor. Or God will just say, this is going to happen to that person. Or this is that situation. Now don't worry, he doesn't do that often with me. So I don't sit there saying, what's he know? I don't know anything about you, you'll tell me. Okay, this isn't spooky stuff. <laughs> but the point here is something like that happens to you, it's like, wow. But notice what he says about it. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and God gives me supernatural understanding, that's all the mysteries, and, and the gift of knowledge, which is when I know, when God reveals something that only you know now, but he shows it to me or somebody else to speak it out. Though I have all faith, that's the gift of faith, so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Listen to that. It's not that you fall short. I mean, these are all good things. They're things the Bible has given gifts to the church. And in that last verse we read, those aren't gifts of the Spirit, but those are good things to do. The Bible says to make your body a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. Though you give everything you have, you do all these things which are good, but if they're not done out of love, and it's His love, which we'll talk about later, if, you're, if they're not done out of that, and in that motive, and in that heart, it counts in God's eyes as nothing. Not, those were good things to do, you did a great job, the only thing is, I've just, you know, you fell a little short because your motive was wrong. No, it's all or nothing. If it's not in His love, it counts as nothing. Why? Because this is not like school where you get credit for the stuff you do. It's what we talked about last week. We talked about that, that when certain people, when we, get, we stand before Him and we're going to be judged for our rewards, that he's, we're going to be evaluated on what we've done of whether it was good, that word means valuable, or useless. And I shared that word useless means useless to Him. And we talked about that last week. Not whether they're useless in the eyes of the world, not whether it's useless in the eyes of the church, whether it's useless to him. Why? Because he has a purpose he wants to accomplish. And when we do our own thing, it may be good things, but it's not valuable to him because it's not helping him carry out his purpose. In the same way, when we do good things, but we don't do them motivated by love, it's worthless to him because what he wants to communicate to everybody is his love. So when we do the right things for the wrong motive, we're communicating the wrong message. And what he wants more than anything else to communicate is his nature to people. And the only vehicle he has to do that through is his body. So if we do the good things, but we don't do them with his motive, we're communicating the wrong message and we're useless to him. It counts as nothing. Let's go over to verse 13. And now abide. And these are the three, these are the three best. Faith, 
hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And now we see why the greatest of these is love. God has faith. God provides hope. But He is love. It is His nature and it is what He wants to communicate. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. There's so much in here. Verse 8. To me, who am the least of all these saints, this grace was given to me, which should, that I should preach the, among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the fellowship or sharing of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. And this is what I want you to see. To the intent, this was the purpose behind all of all this, that now the manifold, we looked at that word last week, many-sided wisdom of God may be made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. So God wants to show something. He's proving something. See, there's a, there's, you know, we live our life out and then we live our time in church out and our service to God out. But God's perspective is so far beyond this. There, there, you know, God is looking at things not just in terms of this person maybe in Providence this morning that's hurting, but He's also looking out at all of eternity and all of the existence that He's created. And He's looking out. He's, there's something He wants to prove. That's what this verse says. He is proving something, and I want you to see in this verse who he's proving it to. To principalities and powers in heavenly places. Those are spiritual forces. There is a grand trial going on. Now, if you look at, if you look at Romans chapter 12, most of you should know this verse very well, verse 2. It says, Therefore, be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the rest of that verse says that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ever ask yourself the question, prove it to whom? Who will we to prove this to? Well, I know the world, yeah. But you link the verse we just read with this. God wants to prove something on the, in the courtroom of eternity to the principalities and powers that rebelled against Him, the principalities and powers that are out there, He wants to prove something about Himself. What's He want to prove? How strong He is. No, they know that. They saw that exercise when they rebelled against Him. Jesus said, when the disciples came back and said, Wow, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. He says, Yeah, cool. It's okay. He says, I know that. I watched the head guy when he stood against my father, and he flashed like a lightning bolt, how fast a lightning bolt comes down. That, that's, that's good. I'm glad you're excited, but that's not that impressive. Instead, rejoice that what? Your name is written in the book of life. What's God proving? How strong he is? Who's he going to prove that to? How good he is? You don't have to prove that to anybody. What is he proving? He wants to prove what love will do. And what are the exhibits that he's using in his courtroom? What are the exhibits that he's using 
in this to prove his case. He's using your life and my life, lives that maybe have been a mess. We were all a mess in one form or other. We were helpless. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. It goes on to say, without God or without hope in this world. And God gave his son's life for you. But when you accepted Christ, that gift, God began to work in your life to change you. That's what this mission is about. Men and women who are at the bottom of the society, they are failures in the world's eyes, they're failures in their family's eyes, they're failures in their eyes, and God wants to take that failure who has nothing to offer. By the way, we didn't have anything to offer either, and we were failures too. Just not obviously in the world's eyes. And God wants to take lives and simply by loving them, change them. Years ago, God gave me, as he was showing this to me, an expression. You know what you are to God? You're a trophy of His grace. You are living proof of what His grace and His love will do. That's why you don't have to be perfect. Paul caught on to this because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the struggle he had where he went to God and he said, talking about the persecution he was under, he said, God, three times I went to him and I asked him to remove this from me. It was a messenger sent from Satan. And God's answer to him is my grace My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul goes on to say, I caught on to it because I realized this. Therefore, I now glory in my weaknesses. I don't worship, but I I, I glory in my weakness because in my weakness, his strength, his grace is revealed. God's grace, what his love will do in a fallen dirty, rebellious sinner's life doesn't prove his power. It proves what his love can do. And that's what I believe he's proving to principalities and powers. And so as we begin to renew our mind from Romans 12 too, begin to think like God does and do some of the things we're going to talk about, what happens is you begin to prove out as an exhibit to the principalities and powers what God's love can do. That's what He's doing in you. That's what He wants to do out there. And that's why the most important thing is love. That's why the focus of the body is the building of itself in love. Not just because love is a good thing to do. It's so far beyond that. It's because love is what it's all about. Let's pray. We're going to learn next week, begin to look at what this love is like because it's not like the world's love. And then we're going to learn how you walk in it and flow in it and grow in it.